The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So gently coming back into the room. And we'll have just a few minutes if anybody has any questions or comments from this. And then we'll, we'll do another um, short period of walking before coming back. But does anybody have any? Yeah. So this is something that um, has been really puzzling me uh, for the past year. Uh, in the end of the meditation, when we shifted from observing the changes in the breath to feeling love and compassion, um, like the way you are saying it, um, makes sense, but it's still hard to like um, explain it to someone else <laughs> or even like really so, so I can feel okay I kind of, I didn't feel like the love because I was seeing the, the changes, that was like then the compassion was like okay well maybe I am feeling kind of unstable because it changes so I can have compassion for that but it was not really obvious but I think this is really the core of you know what binds us as human beings so I really want to understand how you can go from um, direct experience to actually have this awakening of you know empathy or compassion for yourself and others can you elaborate a little bit on that yeah, that was a um, that was a spontaneous creation on my part, based on what I felt like was going on in the room, actually. And um, but it follows from the teachings. That's why I brought in the sutta. And this is um, this is a transition, I guess. We were in a state of wisdom, basically, of seeing. Um, change, which is to develop an insight perspective. And then, you know, once we arrive here in the world, we're in, uh, in a world of relationship and so forth. And so um, the cultivation of heart qualities, essentially, is something that helps us bridge that gap, which can, it can, what can be perceived as a gap, maybe I'll say it that way. And so I think you correctly identified that um, it's a transition that may or may not feel natural uh, at a given time. And I don't know what to say about how it can be brought about, except that we incline the mind. So this is an articulation of the path, and the mind will follow along as well as it can. And, you know see how it evolves from there. Does that help at all, or does, uh, does it bring up something else, it looks like? Yeah, I think it makes sense in the, in, in this, in, in the sense of... Um, 
this is we want to go from A to B, from that direct experience to that sense of compassion and love, right? It's this is what. Well, you've set it up as a task. I don't know that I framed it that way. Okay, so this is where I'm still a little struggling because I, I, you know, I've read many books. I've been practicing for a long time, and and it seems like. Everybody's kind of like saying that you're doing this and and it naturally leads to. And I can feel that if I'm like really suffering or I see someone suffering, right? But is it something that then it goes back to you have to you have to kind of accept? You know, like everything we're doing up to this morning felt like it was you investigate. You know, you keep doing this. And, la- and now we get to a point where, okay, we have to kind of accept and make a jump. Like, it's almost like, okay, um, I need to go, you know, I will naturally go to the direction of compassion. Therefore, I'm going to cultivate it, and then I will get there, as opposed to, do you, uh, is it clear oh, what I'm trying beautiful. to explain? This is, this is great. This is the way our mind um, creates an idea of what the path is so dangerous to have a little bit of knowledge, right? And so, um, yeah. So, um, one of the things that we'll continually do, what you're seeing is exactly what we've been talking about, the way the mind is creating something and then trying to live into it, um, which is somewhat helpful. That's the sort of Sutta Mayapanya and Chinta Mayapanya. Okay, I get the concept. This is This is what I think I'm doing. And then there's the actual reality of what we experience, which may or may not be that. And we also may just have to discover for ourselves what love and compassion or anything else looks like. We don't, the idea of it is not the same as it. I also thought of while you were talking a wonderful quote by Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who said, the way to get from point A to point B is to be completely at point A. And this is really, this is very true, right? Um, And we're not necessarily, there's this idea of a path, but that too is a concept (laughs) Uh, that we're going X, Y, Z, P, D, Q, whatever. Um, And Instead, what's happening is there's this process that's unfolding, and the, the act of observing it in the right way makes certain changes to it. Oh, you're, you've got something else. No, I just wanted to say, like, yes, I love this quote, okay, because great. now I can, I can relate to um, you know, living with chronic pain, and uh-huh. kind of like I want to be without pain, but it's only by really being in A with my pain that eventually I get to be. So this is the exact same thing that you're talking about in this case with kind of compassion. Mm-hmm. Great. I get it now. Yeah, thank you. Okay. I'm glad that helped. Yeah. So I have a question about so the direct uh, knowing. Okay. So Gil, um, he often talks about um, our track record for success when we use thoughts to solve a problem as being abysmally low, probably less than 20%. Okay. Um, 
And so direct knowing is when you um, think about a problem in a very settled and fulfilled state. So that's kind of my understanding. For example, when you have a job offer and you want to know whether to take up that offer or not, if you let your thoughts take over, they're going to do all the comparison pros and cons, and it's a never-ending process. It's a mess, big mess. But um, when you're in a state of deep fulfillment, I mean, the answer naturally comes to you. You lean one way or other. You let go and you just let go. You don't worry about what you're leaving back on the table. So is that what is meant by the direct knowing? Because Gil says, don't use your control tower, but use your feelings. Okay, I would say what you're describing is the, what I would call insight. So it's where we have knowledge that comes from not through a rational analytical process and it can't be forced right and and you're right that being in a state you called it fulfillment i would call it something like concentration we'll talk about that somewhat in the next segment but a state that is yeah is is a state of well-being essentially is more likely for this kind of insight to come direct knowing um i would say is the more related to the actual sensations so when he says use your feelings I don't want to interpret what Gil says, actually, so I'll, I'll now add that one, one interesting way to make decisions, we usually think it has to be our head, and we create the pro and con list, and then at the end of it, we still feel unsatisfied, right? So obviously, that didn't completely work. Philip Moffat suggests that you have three uh, votes, actually, and there's the vote from the head, and then there's also the one from the heart, um, which is... Uh, not related to something that you can write down, really. And then there's also the one from the belly. And that one is somewhat instinctual. And so, um, and that when you take all three votes, you give weight to the heart and the gut over the head. <laughs> they, they have more, more swing, essentially. I think it's a nice approach. And um, this is pointing more toward this what is direct knowing. I think direct knowing, we might also say, is something that, since it's part of the path, in some ways, well, it, it, it can de develop over time. And so uh, it may not be the same thing now as you will say it is five years from now, for example. Could be different. Like mindfulness, for example, when we first go to our first mindfulness class and they tell us, okay, sit down and observe the breath for five minutes or something, we have a sense of what mindfulness is. We, we did it at some level. But if you, sit, if you start sitting regularly every day and you do that for, say, two or three years and somebody says, what's mindfulness? You'll probably have a different understanding of it than you did after that first five minutes of meditation. Why is that? It's because actually mindfulness itself is part of the path, so it evolves. It's not a static thing. One more concept that's not permanent. <laughs> um, and the same thing with concentration, with generosity, with equanimity. These are concepts, and they change. Our understanding of them changes, our experience of them changes. And so the direct knowing is related very, it's very visceral. I think that's another good word for it. And so that's why we've been cultivating slowly over today the actual physical sensations of the breath, which most people are able to feel. Um, and that it, it seems a little odd, you know, it's like, it, the point is not to become a super expert on your breath and to be able to write a scientific paper about the different stages of the breath. It's actually, the point of that is to become more in touch 
with what visceral sensations are, what direct knowing is. Just like if your aim is to be uh, in shape, you want to be in good physical shape, you might say run up and down bleachers. There's nothing magical about bleachers or about running, but that's a means by which one becomes in shape. And so there's nothing like really special about the breath, but it's a great tool for cultivating uh, a kind of mind that is in touch with direct knowing. Does that help? Okay, great. All right, last one. Hello. Uh, just to clarify, Kim, you had pictures of the woman who was the corn geneticist. Yeah, Barbara McClintock. Yeah, Barbara McClintock. So did she use direct knowing when she uh, said that about listening to the corn? I don't know what was going on in her mind. I can say that um, she had these words that she used, like lean into the ear of corn and become intimate with it. And I think what she was referring to was some kind of a personal experience of um, having non-rational, non-cognitive knowing of what she was seeing. And she had she made many interesting discoveries that were beyond what was understood about basic genetics at that point. So is that the belly? The, in, in her belly? I don't know. Okay. I don't know where she knew it. Yeah, I wrote an article that it's more was of an actually, analogy. I wrote uh, an article that was linked to Barbara McClintock and this, and, and uh, it was really that she looked at the corns as friends. And when uh-huh. she was able to develop that connection, that's where the insight came from. It's yeah, not so as she an brought object. in her heart, basically. Yes, yes. Yeah. The path unfolds differently for different folks. So what we're talking about is different elements that need to come together in some kind of wholeness for there to be this change in the system so that we're seeing more accurately. That's the picture we're building, uh, what we've built up to now. Yeah? Okay. So there's still a little more to come, but I think we'll do a little bit of walking meditation so that we can again feel the, uh, the body in motion. And let's walk until, um, actually just until 3.05, five after three. So we'll see you in 15 minutes. <laughs> 